teach in this exact classroom? No, I actually taught at Brookcliff Middle School, but we used to come to this building quite a lot for like teacher workshops and teacher orientation kinds of things. And so I did some teaching of teachers in this building. I may have been in this classroom as well, but it's really cool. It's got an old school feel. And I, I just realized I was in here accidentally with a buddy a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah. We were just around downtown and it's like, oh, Gemini Brewing, let's go in. Yeah. But when I came in, I'm like, oh, they moved and it's different now, but I didn't realize that this was an old school and yeah. had all the history. Do you know a lot about the building? I don't know a lot about the building. I know that it is on the historical register of buildings. And so there's it's called the Lowell. Lowell. Lowell School. Yep. yep. The Lowell. Yeah. I think 1925 is when it was built. And do you know when it stopped operating? Mm, five, maybe five years ago. I think it's so cool what they're doing. Yeah. Every classroom, it seems, has been repurposed yeah. to an office uh -huh. for the sake of argument. Gemini has a couple of rooms, it mm -hmm. looks like, down right when you walk in. Yep. Next to you is a art and wine tattoo parlor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Raw Canvas. They used to be on Main Street and then they've moved here. And so they have like an art studio, clothing, apparel. I think they do something with wine and then uh, the tattoo parlor, which they're amazing. I've gotten three or four tattoos from Rock Canvas before. So yeah. Yeah. What'd you get? Um, I got this cancer feather ribbon for Delaney Clements there. And then I have one on my rib cage, uh, Melora is the tattoo artist from there that has done them for me. So super neat, but you didn't yeah. get it. You got it at their old location on main street. Yeah. Okay. Well, it looks like I saw right outside their office. They had a big spread in the Sentinel and uh -huh. everything looks like they're doing really well. Yeah. I don't have any tattoos. You know, like my husband, he's like, he's just going to keep his skin virgin. <laughs> yeah. My girlfriend has several yeah. and she always kind of pokes at me. It's yeah. like, why don't you get it? And to be honest, there are times in my life where I thought I was going to get one, Yeah, but I could never decide what to get. Uh -huh. And anytime I did decide, it was usually about like a memorial tattoo or something that had happened to me. And originally there was a rush of emotion of, okay, let's do it. Yeah. But then thinking about it, I'm like, do I really want? Every time someone asks me about it to then have to explain what happened Tell the story. or something like that. Yeah. So it would always just fade and I would never go through with it. How <laughs> did you decide what to get? Well, I mean, I started getting tattoos when I was 15. I think my mom absolutely was just traumatized. I think that I was out branding myself, as she allowed? called it. F 15? Oh, definitely not allowed. Yeah. No, how no. Did you, how did you pull that off? Well, a guy in high school said that he could do tattoos. Oh, well. <laughs> and I was kind of just, you know, I've always just been a YOLO kind of girl. And I was yeah. like, sure, you can practice. I mean, I guess there are worse things he could have said he could have done. Yeah. He could have fallen for. Yeah, exactly. But... That's what I thought. And it's not the worst tattoo. I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever had. But then I did get a couple more in Mexico when I was like 16. They're not carding you down. They don't. There, don't. Yeah. Don't care. Don't ask. Don't. No. No. And. Probably not super safe either, but whatever. How did your parents react to this? Never happy about it, ever. <laughs> did you try and hide it through the class? I did. Um, I was actually working at this restaurant when I was 15. Um, I started there when I was 13, but it was the Red Barn. And I was sitting at a table and I was showing one of the waitresses. I was like, look what I got. And I was lifting my shirt up to show. And my mom had walked in the door of the restaurant. I don't know why. I have no idea why. That's bad timing. It was so bad. That's super bad. It was so bad. And she yelled something terrible across the restaurant. And I was like, okay, well, 
did well, not cats hide. out of the bag. I did not yeah. hide that for very long. Yeah. <laughs> so. I feel like timing in life is so weird. Sometimes like that, where it's like, of all places for your mom to walk in at that exact yes. moment, it's almost like, all right, we're definitely in simulation. Theory. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. The universe and its synchronicities are just, yeah, some things happen. So. But you have a young daughter, right? Well, yeah. I mean, she's 18. Oh, you just took her to college. That's right. I did. Yeah. How was that process? Um, I. <sighs> Because you, you went to drop her off in St. Uh, George, right? Uh -huh. I just, I remember being dropped off at college and it was the most freeing feeling yeah. once my parents left mm -hmm. on par with the day I got my driver's license. Yeah. I'll never forget it. I can remember the weather and just the feeling of mm -hmm. like, wow, here I am in my dorm alone. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. I think like I was super emotional the days leading up to taking her and like having her say goodbye to her brother. And I was just like, Oh God, like they've spent their whole lives together. This is so crazy. And then packing up her room because we're moving her brother into her room. So literally her room is gone now. So that was kind of like, Oh, she's eliminated. Yeah. Wow. It was kind of like a, like, okay, we have a spot for you in the basement now. <laughs> and, um, but then, you know, the drive there was super nerve wracking because I just kept looking in my rear view mirror. Like it's like my baby and she's following me, you know, this, 400 miles and I just kept checking like is she okay was she okay and then got there and she was like so excited and so happy that it was like it was really easy for me to leave um oh it was yeah I mean because she was so excited like she had no nerves she wasn't you know unsure of what she was doing and I was like yeah that's good I did my job and she's gonna be fine and we're gonna go she's confident yeah well i could see it going either way right yeah if she's nervous and sad then you'd be sad because it's right. like oh my god is she ready to be on her own exactly but if she's too confident you're like why do you want me to leave so bad? <laughs> what's going on yeah <laughs> what do you know exactly I... yeah and then the drive back was like it kind of felt freeing for me because i wasn't checking the rearview mirror anymore and it was this weird sensation of like okay we're both okay <laughs> yeah what a journey yeah so super cool what is she going to study? Um, she's going to go into nursing. Okay. So, yeah. So she'll do her four years there to get her BSN. And then she wants to specialize in like neonatal. So she's thinking she wants to go somewhere on the East Coast or in the South for that. So she's not coming back to Colorado. I was going to say, do you expect her to she, return or anything? She says she's not. She's so adamant about it. But I, so I offered to like go get the dirt, you know, the... The fork, fork. Okay, the, so what are they? Yeah, so I remember. Hearing um, that. I heard you have to get it from the fork of the river, and then the three mountain ranges. So the monument, like book cliffs, book, and then book Grand cliffs, Mesa. and then Grand Mesa. Yeah. And then if you carry that with you, that means you will come back. <laughs> you won't. You won't. The cur you you've broken the curse. Oh. So I offered because she was so adamant. I was like, well, let's go get your dirt. And every weekend, I was like, we should go get your dirt. She was like, I don't believe in curses. And I was like, ah, I'm kind of glad you don't. <laughs> yeah, good for her. You'll be back. <laughs> it's so funny hearing that because for me, someone that moved here recently, mm -hmm. I feel this is a desirable place to be. Yeah. And so it's interesting when you meet people that have grown up here yeah. who are like, I'm never coming back. Yeah. But I guess that's wherever you grow up, you feel that way at a I certain guess. point. I felt that way coming out of college or even young 20s. I grew up in Philly and it's like, I'm never going back. I'm yeah. done with this. But now I love going home. Yeah, it's like so nostalgic and mm -hmm. all my friends and I don't necessarily want to live there, but I enjoy yeah. going back. So I guess it's just growing and our perspective changes. Yeah. Well, and I grew up in Montrose. And so this seemed like the city to me. And, you know, this was like flying, spreading my wings. You know, I made it 60 minutes from home. 
And you came here for college. Yep. Okay. And then have never left here. But, you know, I thought this was like really spreading my wings and going far. My mom thinks I moved to like Hawaii. She's like, I never <laughs> see you. I'm like, I'm literally down the road. How many people live in Montrose? Now, I don't know. Back then it was a small, it was a very small farming community. So, but it's grown tremendously. Just it'd be like living in Palisade or something if it wasn't connected to Junction. Yeah. Just yeah. way out there by yeah. itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now it's becoming a luxury hub for it is. people coming to tell you ride, right? Exactly. Yeah. Has it changed a lot since you've it's completely different. Yeah. I yeah. think the airport there is almost bigger than junctions now. It's yeah, they've definitely added. I heard on. they had a direct flight to Cabo. Yeah, they do. That, they do. Yeah. Okay, that's I, th not, I think that like on Southwest or something. That's they have, amazing. Yeah. And a lot of times, like people don't always realize, but if you like check the airport, a lot of times Montrose does have better flights out and sometimes cheaper. So. I've heard from friends that they love, like, mm -hmm. they say it's worth the drive. It is. Um, yeah. Junction's so easy. It is. As well, but it is expensive. It's not yeah. cheap. Um, yeah. I don't even think we have Southwest here. No, we don't. So good yeah. for Montrose. I know. Growing up. I know. Well, what do you do? <laughs> so tell us about where we're sitting. We're in an, let's set the stage. We're okay. in an empty classroom right now, quite literally. <laughs> quite literally. Concrete floor. Mm -hmm. Seafoam green walls. Would you describe this as? I would call that seafoam. Yeah. Uh, okay. Perfect. And then your typical row lighting, your mm -hmm. fluorescent classroom lighting. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting on two chairs. Random chairs. The computer <laughs> is on another random chair. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. So yeah. what are we doing in here? <laughs> we Why are... did you bring me here? And if anyone's listening. Are you nervous? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Give them their location. <laughs> yeah. So um, we are in the Lowell building, classroom seven, and it is soon to be uh, Dirt and Wildflowers, a creative space to grow and bloom. That is the big, the big dream that's unfolding. So tell us about the big dream. How did this <laughs> unfold? So that's the name of your book as well. It is. Yes. So did that all start with the book? I mean, we can get into yeah. the book. We can get into what you're going to do here. But yeah. what does this concept mean of dirt and wildflowers? So, I mean, I just love the, I mean, I came up with the title of dirt and wildflowers, obviously, because I love that we grow from dirt and that nothing grows without dirt. And it's really important to understand that in our life when we are going through the hard times and the struggles and all of that. It's really just fertilizer for us to become whatever it is we're going to become. And so I just love the contrast of those two things, of the dirt and the wildflowers. And, and dirt being a we perceive it as a bad thing because mm -hmm. we're dirty and right. don't yeah. want to get it under our fingernails kind of right. Vibe. Right. Yeah. And until we, you know, are willing to really dig into it and plant and cultivate and curate and do all the things with it, it will just remain dirt. But if we, you know, take the time with it and spend the time with it, beautiful things can come from it. Love that. When did you come up with this concept? Was this something your whole life? Probably because I did grow up on a farm and a ranch and, you know, I, I it was a dirty life <laughs> and but beautiful things grew there. And I just have this crazy connection to nature. And so that's just always been a part of, of who I am. And as I was writing the book, I started to realize that this theme kept coming up and I kept talking about growing and growth and kept going back and forth between, you know, what was and what is and what will be. And so that's kind of how I, I made that connection. And then I was a teacher for so many years and had to leave the classroom, not by choice, really. 
it was I couldn't afford to be a teacher anymore. Really? And, yeah. Living here in the Grand Valley? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was a single mom at the time, had been for most of my teaching career. What do teachers make, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I can tell you when I started teaching, I was very excited to make $19,000. $19,000. And that was in 2000. My first year of teaching was 2002. What grade? Then I was teaching high school. Oh, hell no. And I was I was 21. You could 21 teaching I, high school? Yeah, you should talk to those first students. They're all in their 30s now. They're like, oh, yeah, Miss Castle. <laughs> oh, my God. Did they, I mean, they probably looked at you more as a peer than a teacher. They sure did. Wow. It was rough. It was, they give you a hard time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> and I mean, like, you know, you know, it was like, yeah, it's just hard to like discipline and run a classroom when you're the same age as them. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're just a couple of years. I mean, yeah. literally in a social situation, mm -hmm. you may hang out with them yeah. in that kind of age bracket. Yeah. yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Why did they do that to you? Was that something or did you pick I that grade? I chose that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I did that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> did you know. people say like, hey, you might want to think about going for yeah. third graders? Or? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had a secondary teaching license. So I think the youngest I could have won was seventh grade. Okay. Which I ended up going to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I did three years at Fruta and then went to Bookcliff and But nineteen K. At twenty one, it's it these, seems it seems like a lot of yeah. money. So I, I you could have lived on it and everything. Yeah. But just from a bird's eye, it's so amazing that that's what we yeah. pay teachers who are dealing with yeah. high school kids who are at the level to ready to go right. to college and all that. Yeah. It's insane. It was insane. And then, you know, obviously there's like a step so many years you keep going up steps and then the more education that you get and i don't i don't know if it's still aligned that way that because i did get my master's degree which would bump you up so many steps and put you in a different category when i left at 17 years with the district i was making four forty ish thousand after 17 years yeah wow yeah and i would have topped out if i had taught my full 30 with my master's degree I think I would have topped out at 70, wow. 30 years. After 30 years. Yeah. Holy crap. So now any editorializing you want to do about the education <laughs> system and like what the hell is wrong with us? Yeah. What are we doing? Here? Oh man. It's just, it's so sad. And like post COVID, I just, I just have such empathy for teachers, for students, for the entire system. I just. Yeah. The whole thing, talking to Jamie and just, he, luckily he didn't do a lot of online teaching. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You weren't teaching during that I had time, just right? left, yeah. but I can't imagine having to go through COVID and dealing with all the no. opinions surrounding it and just try to go to work, Navigate but it's that so complex. Day. And then you're having to teach in a way you never have before. Yeah. But what is the argument for keeping salaries so low? They just don't have the money or they're afraid if they make it a hundred K that People will do it for the wrong reasons. Or are they looking for that passion? I don't really understand. I don't know either. And I know that the Western Slope doesn't have as many, I don't know, they don't get the same amount of dollar per student. I don't, and I don't understand why. And I don't understand how it all works. I just know that at the time, I had two kids who had to be also in daycare. And so on a, say, $35,000 salary, and you're paying almost $2,000 a month in daycare. That's insane. For your kid. You can't do it. You can't you because can't my it. my monthly salary was like 2000 You get paid once a month as a teacher. Oh, my God. So what would you do? Like, how did you know? Oh, that's why you stopped teaching. I had to. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was just like in incredible debt because you can't make ends meet, you know? 
That's insane. It is. Yeah. So are they looking just, is teaching now just a young person's profession? I, in the sense that like, I mean, your situation, you wanted to do it, you started, and then your life grew to a point where, okay, I just, I have kids and I can't do this yeah. anymore. Well, and I think that that's part of it. And I think fewer people, you know, less and less people are having kids. I saw this quote the other day and it was like, plants are the new pets. Pets are the new kids. And somebody was like, well, what are kids? They're like exotic animals. You either have to be crazy or rich to own one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's kind of true. It's probably getting true every day. <laughs> yeah. With college tuition yeah. and just everything. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> what were your feelings when you step away? Were you? I was devastated. devastated. Yeah, I really was. And I was blessed because I was able to go into a career um, as a transaction coordinator for real estate and almost double my salary and make ends meet and life has been great. But when your calling and your purpose is to teach, you know, you're always searching for ways to make that happen. And so the book was one way for me to make that happen. And now with the success of that and just getting back out in front of people and talking about the book and leading in workshops and doing all the things, people are like, oh, I want to hear you speak again. I want to hear, I want to, I want to write. And I'm like, I can help you write. I know how to do that. <laughs> so here, here we, we are. are. Here we are. Back is, in a classroom. <laughs> I love it. So when do you actually move in? We're here illegally right now, right? Totally illegally. Sweet. We're like squatters. Heck yeah. Well, good thing we have luck, good rules for squatters these days. So well, we, we'll right. we have our beer. We should have uh, brought more just beer. Hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's your plan for this? Are you, when do you move in? Uh, September 1st. Well, okay. As, so right is, around the corner. Yeah. Next wow. Friday. Moving in and then. I mean, it's obviously going to be a very big work in progress. What are you going to do to the place? What's your vision? Is, mean, it, is it a space for people to come hang out? Yeah. Is it just an office for you? What is it? It will be a space. So um, I envision there being actual tables and chairs in here <laughs> and, you know, places for people to do art, people for people to write. I have a lot of different like personal development workshops. So I'll be teaching those. And then I have a couple of friends like that have some gallery pieces, art. And yeah, so it's just going to be very eclectic and lots of cool stuff, but lots of offerings. Cool. And yeah. the offerings will be the workshops, but you say places for people to write and, mm -hmm. and do art. Can people, it'll be like a co-working space where people can just come I, in? I think that I'm going to, I think I'm going to get it there eventually. Cool. Yeah. So that people can do that. Because like a space if you want to come in and journal yeah. or draw yes. or whatever you can't do at home because yes. you're distracted. Exactly. That's a great idea. Yeah. So just yeah. have it be very enriching and i don't know it's just so, such a cool space that i feel like inspired just being in here i'm like yeah, i can do cool things here <laughs> yeah and it's cool to do your own thing right you still get that teaching yeah bug yes. going with it yeah but you're not in the school system anymore. yeah yeah so it's it's taken me a long time i've always had this narrow perspective of what teaching was and i followed that perspective and that you go get your teaching license and you teach in a school now I'm like, well, I am teaching in a school again, but, you know, to adults or to whoever, you know, is looking for an opportunity to grow and expand and learn something new. So have you ever taught adults before? Yeah, I did. As a teacher, I would teach other teachers. So and then for the past year, I've been teaching my workshops to adults. So I yeah. feel like it would be so much better to teach adults than oh, kids. Oh, so great. Because I remember myself as a student. I did well in school, yeah. but I was just a system hacker. Yeah. Like if you were my teacher, I would figure out 
I would spend my time figuring out what you wanted to hear <laughs> and what would get me an A and what work I had to do to get the A rather than learning the material. Yeah. And that Which is also a good skill. It's a good skill, <laughs> but it makes it a grind, right? Because yeah. you're not connecting with the material. You're just going through this process of like, okay, my whole goal is to get an A. And that, of course, serves you well, but it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't inspire you. It doesn't enlighten you. Don't you don't walk away with anything. You're yeah. not having fun. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm in class. This is annoying, but mm -hmm. I know she takes attendance. And <laughs> I know on the third slide, if I write that down, that's going to be a test, yeah. test question. But as I've done continuing education as an adult, I'm such a better student because yeah. I'm actually interested. You know, when you're going into high school and college, you have no idea what you want to do. Mm -hmm. You have quote unquote interests, but they change with the wind, at least from mine. Yeah. I started as an engineer and now I'm a journalist. Yeah. So it makes no sense. But <laughs> right. So when you're young, you have no idea what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. maybe you would know better, but that's with my perspective. So oh, yeah. I would feel being with adults who are like, I'm here because I want to be here would be a more rewarding scenario as a teacher. Yeah. Well, and you create this community of people, everyone is there. And when you have a community of people who are all there because they want to be there, that just feeds into everybody else. You know, whereas a classroom of 30 students, three probably want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and that feeds into everybody else, and you know? The nerds. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's not God, feeding anything. <laughs> Johnny is such a nerd. Why does he raise his hand all the time? Yeah. yeah. Strange. So tell us about the book. And how that leads into this. Mm -hmm. When did you start writing the book? How did you come up with the idea? I feel like I've always been a writer since I, you know, could read and write. My parents would get me journals and I just became a huge journaler and I was always writing and writing and writing and reading. About your own life? Yeah. Like just diaries. Diaries, journals. Yeah. You still keep them? I do. Yeah. Scary stuff. I know. Yeah. I know. I told, I told my husband at one point, I was like, Maybe when I die and you cremate me, you should just burn the journals with me. Totally. And he was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, and don't read them. You Maybe should probably just... burn them before you die. <laughs> my know. advice. Yeah. I've saved a lot of that stuff when I was younger too. And every once in a while when I go home, go yeah. in my mom's attic and I look through them, I'll just spend five minutes and I'm horrified. I'm yeah. like, nope, can't do it. I know. Too, it's too raw. Yeah. It's too, yeah. I don't know. It's but hard. then I was at a book club because I've been doing a lot of those uh, since the book came out and there was this librarian and she was like, do not burn your journals. Do not. She's like, why do you care if you're not here anymore? She's like, that is historical stuff. And so she was talking about how her grandparents and her grandma, like all of her journals. And I think she was like one of the like original pioneers of Palisade. And she, all of that is in the Library of Congress now. And it's like historical, factual stuff. Even though some of it's just her personal life, it still talks about like what women were doing during that time and what they worried about and That's their concerns. Cool. Yeah. So she was really. Like a true librarian. Yeah, she, yeah. she was really like, no, 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 we're not throwing those away. And I'm like, maybe some of them. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, you might want to just vet them first. <laughs> but my grandparents both passed away in the last year. They were 99. Yeah. And one of the coolest things was just going through and seeing stuff like that from them. Yeah. They didn't have necessarily diaries, but letters. postcards, they'd yeah. written letters. And it did give you an insight into yeah. what they were doing at the time. And that's kind of neat. Yeah, they said that. I mean, she was like, that is American history. And she's like, we don't have any other sources than what people wrote. And She's like, that's in letters and journals. And I was like, well, yeah. Does your daughter try and read your diary or anything? No. Your journals? I mean, I wrote a book. I don't know how much else. <laughs> I'm like, come on, people. Did she read your book? <laughs> but, uh, she started it and my son as well started it. So, you know, she 
He's like, I'm, I have to finish this other book. I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, I feel your pain. <laughs> Here's like, you'll, you know, I'm a writer as well. Yeah. So you, you'll agree with this maybe or resonate with you. When you're a, an artist, like a painter or something, you paint a picture and you give it to someone and they're like, oh my God, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hang this on my wall. <laughs> and it's just literally 30 seconds of all that. And they look yeah. at it and it's nice and easy. You give someone your 300 page book. Yeah. And they're like, oh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. Well, hmm. and you can tell they're like, shit, now I have to read this yeah, thing. Yeah. And it's a burden that you give people. Or And then like the next time you see them, they'll be like, I'm sorry, I haven't started your book. And I'm like, I don't need the apologies. Totally. <laughs> it's fine. People say, come up to me about the podcast too. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, sorry. I, I wanted to listen to your last couple episodes, <laughs> but I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm like, you didn't even have to say that. Yep, it was didn't fine. Need that. It's fine. <laughs> Just you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, so you feel like you're giving these people being a writer blows. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's yeah. just like it takes the longest to do. Mm -hmm. And then everyone's like, oh, Will, why did you go on three? You think it's like cool, you did yeah. three hundred pages. They're uh -huh. like, Oh, couldn't it have been half the Yeah. 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 Well, but, I did just finish up um my the audio book was released last week or two weeks ago. Cool. Did you narrate it? I did. You did? And I did not enjoy that. No, mm -mm. I didn't do one. It How was, was that process? Not fun. I mean, I thought I would love it because as a teacher, that was my favorite thing to do was to read books out loud. I loved it. But what I realized is that when you're reading to a class and you stumble over a word, you self-correct and you keep going, you, it's fine. But when you're recording and it has to be perfect, you mess up, you stop. You go back a paragraph, reread, and you just, you know, and then I was editing while I was reading. I was like, oh, I should have said this. Oh. That's not. Not a good thing. And then I would just stop and be like. What do you mean should have said what? Because isn't it already written? Yeah. Oh. But, yeah. but then I'd be like, oh, I should have. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. It's too late. Like it, what's done is done. And so then I got through all of the recording, which was, I just did not enjoy it. And then. How long I, did that take? I would only do like an hour to an hour and a half each session because my voice, I, it would start to get super scratchy at the end. And I think it took me probably 10, 12, 15, I don't know, sessions. So, you know. Not, not insignificant. Not, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, and you're just sitting like in a little cubicle, sound cube. Where did you do this? At a little recording studio off First Street. Isn't it weird, uh, just sorry to jump in again, but I'm curious because when I'm writing, yeah. I'm imagining people are reading it yeah. and I feel that you can use language and sentences and things that are appropriate when someone is going to read it, mm -hmm. which would be different than if someone was going to hear it exactly. or if you were going to say it out loud. Yes. So is that what you were talking about yeah. when you're reading your book out loud? Yeah. You're like, wait, maybe I should have said it because you're talking now mm -hmm. and some you, you want to write like you talk, but there's also some tricks and liberties you can take when yes. you're actually going to say, oh, someone's just going to look at it and read it. Right. It's so different. It, totally different. So you, you experienced that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> can I say that? Can I do that? I think I can. So yeah. So it, there is some variations that just happened That's that I was fine. not willing to go back in. But then like the editing part of that was cutting out all my mistakes and then listening through it. And then, oh, there's some background noise. Let's go fix that. Oh, I stumbled over that word. So then you have to go back in and re-record sections. Because you can't just patch in a word because you'll be able to tell. Yeah. So how long is the section? Uh, At least a couple minutes? Not even. I mean, not even that bad, really. But 
when you have to do that for a lot of yeah. sections. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> had you ever had you practiced before doing it, or did you just jump in? Yeah, I mean, I practiced as much as it's hard to be natural. Yeah, and then then it's done finally, and I felt really good about that. And I think it's like five hours all cut down. Which That's is, nice. Yeah, which is good. Listen to it while you're yeah. working, walking, exactly. brewing, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had one of my students, one of my former seventh graders, he, I think he was in the Marines, but now he's a truck driver. And he was like, I downloaded it and I listened to it on my hall the other day. And he was like, it's fantastic. My, I'm going to recommend it to my mom and my girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. I was like, did it remind you of seventh grade at all? And he's like, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I could see you and hear you reading it. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so that was super cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the concept of the book and what it's about. Yeah. So like I said, I always felt like I was a writer. And then I was always teaching my kids, my students how to write. And so in order to do that, I was always just modeling writing. And so I always had like short stories started because I would start a new one with each class, you know? So at the end of every day, I had like four little short stories started and I would just kind of tuck them away. And then I went through, you know, just a really hard time in life and didn't write, didn't think about writing, didn't really have words to write, got through that and got to the other side and felt like I wanted to write my story, not even to get published, not even to share it. Just, I was like, I'm going to heal from this. I'm going to write these words. I have all these things that I need to say to myself. And so I started writing and I told my husband, um, it would have been like December of 2021. I told him that January 1st, I was going to start writing a book in 2022. And he was like, okay, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> like, do you need Be things? Prepared. Yeah, do you need things? <laughs> what do you need? I'm like, I need a, like a place <laughs> to do this. So we set up a little desk and I, that was my goal. And so I, I Googled how many words need to be in a book. <laughs> Again, I was not going to publish this, but I was like, I legitimately yeah. want to write a book. What should I be shooting for? Exactly. Yeah. And, and the Google said 50 to 55,000 for a memoir. So I was like, cool. So I said, I asked my boss if I could have Fridays to work from home so that I could answer emails and write. And I thought if I wrote a thousand words every week, by the end of the year, it'd be 52,000. Google said. It would be legit. <laughs> Check. <laughs> and so that's what I did. I just started writing a thousand And they let week. you stay home one day a week. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That really gives you a great structure yeah. to write. And, it, and you know, some weeks, a thousand words was 3,000 words. No yeah. problem. Yeah. And then other weeks, it was like 602 words. That's it. Like, I had to, like, really pull to get a thousand. But... It's so, hard. Writing is hard. I, know. I mean, people know writing's hard and most people just cop out by saying, oh, mm -hmm. I'm terrible at it and mm -hmm. they walk away from it. But when you really have to sit down for a project of that yeah. magnitude, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. What did you learn about yourself going through that process? Um, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I learned is that I am a perfectionist and that being a perfectionist also makes me like a really great procrastinator. Because perfectionists don't ever start things unless we can do them perfectly. And so I had to fight myself every week to be like, you have to just get the words on the paper. You can't edit anything. As you go. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't. There's nothing to fix if you don't do it. Right. <laughs> and, but you're, you're tempted to fix as you go. Yeah. 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 And did you have it all outlined 
eventually. Okay. Yeah. At first, I just kind of was going with wherever it took me. And then eventually it became very clear of where I was going. And so I did outline it and went from there. But it was an insane process because by like September of that year, I was trucking along. I was about in chapter 15. And I had went to the Powerhouse Summit at CMU, which was like this women's empowerment conference, two-day conference. And I was talking to some of the speakers there and they're also published authors and they were like, well, you know, what are you working on? And I'm like, well, I'm writing this book. I mean, it's just for me. I'm just writing a book. And they're like, nobody just writes a book for themselves. We all write a book for ourselves and then you have to share it. Yeah. <laughs> so they like gave me all their contacts for getting published and, um, Oh, that's a huge help. Yeah. Wow. Because I had no idea. I, again, I wasn't going to. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to maybe like go to Coffee Coffee and have some <laughs> printed out for friends. <laughs> and I was not doing this. Yeah, that was September. By October, I was working with an editor and he was like, finish. And so I had it finished by November. And then we started editing. And then by February, I was in proof edit and working with a graphic designer for the cover. And then it was basically ready to go. I said that I didn't really want to do it in May, my release in May, because my daughter was graduating and life was just crazy. So I released in June. So. Just this past June. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. And it's been doing really well. And yeah, it's is awesome. that important to you that it sells well? No, but it, it kind of became like this. It kind of goes back to the teaching. Like it started helping people, like people were, you know, really getting things from it. And so that's kind of when I made this shift, like, okay, well, people need this, right? And I can give this to them in a book form. I can give this them this in a workshop format and get back to teaching. So I feel like the book is teaching. I'm going to start teaching again. And So you wrote it with the intention that it was going to be used in this scenario, in this classroom, kind of mm -hmm. as a, like a vault into this lifestyle of yeah. doing workshops and stuff. Yeah. That's perfect. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Highly motivating. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about the content. You said it's a memoir, mm -hmm. like your daughter. I'm still working on it, <laughs> but I will finish. And, but I noticed it's every chapter is a story from your life and yeah. it's sort of teaching a lesson mm -hmm. and there's overall themes. So I'd love for you to just walk us through yeah. what it's about. It does cover the entire expanse of my life from childhood as early as four or five, six years old and up to present time. I wrote it kind of like how I like to read, which for me is in the morning, I'm, I get up way before anybody else, journal, and I like to read something inspiring, you know, and I like to just get these little nuggets of inspiration. And I don't want to pick up huge chapters because I will want to finish them. I can't stop in the middle of a chapter. So they're vignettes. They're short. Somebody can pick it up and read a little or a lot. And I really like that. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than the intimidation of a super long chapter yeah. because it prevents you from starting. So many times exactly. I'll get in bed and I'll open the book and start reading a few pages. And I'm like, wait, how long is this chapter? Oh my God, it's 20 pages. I can't do eh, that. I'll just go to bed. Yeah. First, if it was five pages, I'd be like, okay, yeah. And yeah. then if the next one was five pages, I'd be like, well, oh, maybe I'll go exactly. another one. Yeah. yeah. So I wrote it just like I like to read. That's smart. Yeah. Um, each chapter goes back, you know, to this theme of dirt and or wildflowers. And so it either digs into, you know, the dirt of our lives and how we grow from that, or it focuses in on 
the wildflower part of our life where we take these wild risks and we we learn how to survive despite everything telling us that we shouldn't, right? So it it, it just comes and goes through that. And I think that I was given just this great gift of growing up on a ranch and being out in the middle of nowhere and my friends were trees and animals, my little brother, and, you know, like water. I just, that's what you did all day long is you were just out there barefoot. Played outside? What? All day long. I know. What's that like? Yeah, it's like such <laughs> a like, crazy gift that, you know. Is there internet out there? <laughs> no. What? Here's actually a really funny story is we, no, obviously we didn't have internet. We didn't have cable. We had analog i think there was three stations the bunny ears bunny ears that went off at 10 p.m after the national anthem or you know whatever we didn't have an air conditioner or a swamp cooler which i my parents got all of this stuff after we graduated and moved of course well they probably had you couldn't afford it yeah right <laughs> exotic animals Kids, exactly <laughs> <laughs> they had two um we had a party line telephone what's that see I don't know, party line. Yeah, party line. So we shared our telephone with six other neighbors. Really? And so if you picked it up, you know. It could be for the Judy neighbor. down the street could be talking and you'd have to wait for uh, her. So it was just, yeah, like the telephone lines only came out so far and then you just shared off of one. It's like sharing a laundry machine yeah. but worse yeah worse she's like god when is judy gonna get off the phone when's judy gonna get off the phone and yeah. she was like the elementary secretary and so you couldn't upset her because you'd see her the next day at school so <laughs> yeah yeah we only had like four numbers to dial you didn't have like a prefix it was just the four numbers and that's how you got a hold of people simple life it's very simple yeah. ranch life is very it's easy to romanticize. Mm -hmm. You go stay on a ranch. It's great. Yeah. You go visit. You see it in movies. Right. But then working on a ranch and yeah. living there is really hard. Yeah. Which right? I write about. Yeah. Just the, you know, it taught me how to work hard. And I talk about, you know, how hard work has served me very, very well in my life. I know how to do and accomplish a lot of things because I grew up learning hard work. But then there's times when it hasn't served me well either. And I write about that in the book and how. It also taught me like never to ask for help and to never say no to things, you know, and so you get in over your head and you get overwhelmed. And yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I read those the essays from your childhood and mm -hmm. you said in one of them that you left your, your parents ranch mm -hmm. and you were succeeding a lot when you first left, but you found yourself overworking mm -hmm. a lot and that a lot of your pride in yourself came from working hard. Yeah. But that was something you had to get over. Mm -hmm. Talk a bit about that. Like, how was it being a disservice to you? I think because, I mean, hard work will help you accomplish things. There's no doubt that if you work hard, you will accomplish things. But also, if you are the hardest worker in the room, what does everyone else around you do? Work less hard. They work Look less hard. Look up to you. Yeah, yeah, they work less hard. And you become sort of, you know, the back that everything gets carried on. And it's like, well, Kylie will do it. Kylie will do it. Ask Kylie. She'll do it. And, and then it also comes back to me being a perfectionist, too. And I'm like, yeah, let me do it. <laughs> Let me do it right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Sometimes you're like, I don't want anybody else. To yeah. Do yeah. And so, you know, one of my biggest lessons that I'm learning and partly through writing this book was that in order 
in order to say yes to certain things in my life, I have to learn how to say no. And if I don't say no, then I don't have space for these other things that I want to do. And that was a huge lesson for me of having to learn that I don't have to do all the hard work. I don't have to say yes to everything. So. How do you get better at saying no to things? Because I have that same issue. I have a lot of friends that have those issues. And it's really difficult because you want to do everything and be there for everyone, mm -hmm. especially if you have a wide circle of friends and family. Yeah. It's difficult. It is difficult. I don't know. I think you just start saying it. And, and, it feels and then you realize that the world didn't stop spinning. Mm -hmm. And that your friends forgive you or understand. And, and if they don't, then are they really? Yeah. They don't have your best interest. If you say, I'm tired, I can't make it. And they, I, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, presumably they want you to mm -hmm. take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. I'm a total overscheduler. And that's mm -hmm. what I was telling you. We've been talking about doing yeah. this for months. And <laughs> yeah. Just every time I turn around, it's like, oh, why did I say yes to that? Why yeah, did I say I yes have to something that? something else, yeah. But then when I do it, it's rewarding. Yeah, But I absolutely. just get worn down. It's yeah. not like I'm saying yes to things I don't. Like, I'm good at saying things like I definitely don't want to do. Yeah. But my buddy, he's a woodworker in Hawaii. His philosophy is if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. I've heard that. And yeah. I'm not there yet. Yeah. Like, I, there's still things that I come across from like, all right, it's not hell yes, but I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. So I, I want to spend the time on it. And so that's hard. I think that I'm getting better at it though. And I write about this in the book that my mom, you know, she said, your twenties are going to be fun. They're great. And then your thirties are going to be hard probably because we don't know how to say no. And we're trying to make everybody happy. And then she said, your forties are the good stuff because you just don't give a shit anymore. She's <laughs> like, it's easy to tell people, no, I'm not doing that. I love that. And you know, I'm in my 40s and I'm learning. I'm like, man. It was probably easier to say no to things back in the day because by nature of technology today, we can stay in touch with so many people right. and we can have so many opportunities come our way. Mm -hmm. For example, there are people in my life that I would not be connected with if it weren't for social media, sure. those telephones, cell phones. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we would hate each other, but we would have probably just faded out of touch. Right. Whereas now we can catch up once a month. And then they're going to invite me to their bachelor party <laughs> or they're going to invite me to their wedding or yeah. we're going to want to do a trip together and catch up. And right. Do you feel that? Like yeah, technology absolutely. makes it even harder for us to juggle all this? Yeah. Yeah. Because you're in like contact all the time. You're accessible all the time. Yeah. And it's hard to like get away. And yeah. It's really hard to get away. And people yeah. have that expectation of not only that they can reach you, but they can mm -hmm. reach you quickly and yeah. that you're going to respond quickly. Yeah. And that's really difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes our life joyous in a way. People can, people that you haven't talked to in five years will wish you happy birthday. Right. Right. Because they see it's your birthday and right. you can feel community with them. And with traveling, it's great because you have this nice moment and it's like, okay, we're not going to stay in touch, but now we can at least be connected. Right. And I enjoyed the time we spent. And so let's, <laughs> let's be connected. You know, we spent yeah. two days together in Berlin. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'll keep in touch with your life. Great. Yeah. You have a kid, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I just find that the, that, connection puts a lot of pressure on you and it's beautiful because i love having a wide social circle my mom does and that's how my family is but i find it it's definitely it's yeah. you're just building up these temptations let's say yeah well and expectations expectations too. yeah you know it's like i would expect them to do this if i invited them so i'll probably go to that too you know i mean i don't know it definitely adds more things on the plate, just never being away from the connection. Yeah. You were a serious worker. You described yourself as an ant mm -hmm. in the book. Yeah. 
Tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, my aunt, uh, the aunt analogy. Like A-N-T aunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A-N-T came from my husband when we had just started dating. So it was like during this COVID project and outside of his house, there was just this like dirt. And so we got all this flagstone delivered and we couldn't go anywhere. It was COVID. And so it's like everybody kind of did projects, I think, during Definitely. COVID. You know, they were like, well, we're here. Let's yeah, paint. Let's do something. <laughs> and Got to so, wait till 4 p.m. to exactly. drink. So what are we going to do during the day? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Still wearing my pajamas, but yeah. it's fine. He hadn't ever... I mean, we were really new in the relationship. And so he hadn't really seen me like work, didn't really know my background and work ethic on like a ranch where if my dad said, pick something up, you picked it up and you got it wherever it was supposed to go. So I just was like stacking flagstone on my arms and like waddling over. And he was like, what are you doing? He's like, we have like a wheelbarrow and we have like all these things. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I can just, it's easier if I just carry. And he's like, Okay. So, you know, by the end of it, like my arms are just scratches and bruises and he's like, you're like, you're like an ant. <laughs> and I, at first I was like, yeah, that's cool. You like, took it as a compliment. <laughs> I did. I was like, cool. Yeah. I'm an ant, you know? And then I got to thinking about it a little bit more and I'm like, I actually don't think that's good. Yeah. To everyone listening out there who's single, <laughs> do not try that at the bar. <laughs> hey, you know what, baby, you're like an ant. <laughs> not the best pickup line. <laughs> Unless she's just a weirdo like what, me. What did he mean by that? Just that you were dedicated to the cause? At, well, and that I was, you think about an ant when you are watching it on the ground and it has like this crumb on its back. You don't see the ant, right? You just see the crumb kind of moving across the ground and you're like, what in the heck? Then you see the size of the ant. You're like, that's too much. Like you're doing too much. And that's what he meant is that I was caring too much. Yeah. I was doing too much. I didn't need to do it that way. So a lot of these lessons are recent. A lot of so, them, yeah. That's what I like about the book. It's, I mean, there is some childhood and where you're coming from, yeah. but a lot of it is present day. Yeah. You continuing to grow right before our eyes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even in just that chapter, it starts out with me, you know, helping my dad during lambing season in that same chapter is the ant analogy. So it's like, you know, that hard work and, you know, how it started and who I became because of it. And what I'm learning from it now. How was having a relationship at the beginning of COVID, a new relationship at the beginning of COVID? Yeah, super fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we met in um, 2019. Then we actually got married one year later in the midst of COVID. So we got married in October of 2020. Luckily, nobody got sick at our wedding, but <laughs> the venue did shut down. During the wedding? Uh, right after. Oh, so you just got it in. Just barely. Wow. Yeah. We got married on our... October 2020? Yeah. Yeah. We got married on our deck, but then we had the reception with whoever wanted to come and whoever felt safe coming at a venue, and then it did get shut down. <laughs> How'd you guys meet? Online. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You, My girlfriend and I met in 2019. Yeah. And then started dating during the pandemic. And How was it for you guys? It was interesting because we were long distance. So okay. we met at a festival, Burning Man. Okay. Yeah. Um, because we're hippies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we were there just with mutual friends. And we, I was dating someone else. She was dating someone else. So we didn't really connect, but we yeah. connected as friends. And she lived in Miami at the time. Okay. And I was doing more travel writing back then. So I went to Miami for a trip and I just hit her up a couple months later, like, hey, what's what should I do? And we ended up getting together and hitting it off. 
And that was February of 2020. Okay. Oh, wow. I remember going to visit her and we didn't really know each other that well. So just making small talk. And I had just come from West Palm Beach Mm -hmm. and visited some friends there, went down to Miami, having dinner with her. And I said, hey, you won't believe this. My buddy, he's kind of a conspiracy theory guy, which I love a good conspiracy theory. Why not? Yeah. And I said, he said there's some virus in China that's spreading and it's not going to be long before it's here in the U.S. And we were laughing and be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And sure enough, a month later, everything started shutting down. And it was interesting because we got really close really fast mm-hmm. because, as you know, you can't. Yeah. There's limited socialization. And yep. so once COVID started, it was like, OK, well, we're dating. So let's hang out. Mm-hmm. And I would go visit her and it would be so weird flying because oh, yeah. I remember one of the times I flew uh, from Denver to Miami. It was 50 bucks. 11 people on the plane so or whatever, you know, just nobody. And then we would get there and I would literally, when I would go inside her apartment and be like, all right, all my plain clothes, like right in the wash and wash your hands and the early COVID yeah. drama. But then I would just stay in her apartment for a week. We would do nothing really. We yeah. would take walks during the day with our little cups and mm-hmm. then we would just bide our time until we could yeah. make the cocktail of the night or whatever. Yeah. I mean, what did you do? <laughs> I right? know. It was like, no, yeah. we watched the news and just like, this is crazy. Yeah. It was. It's so crazy because, yes, we met in the fall of 2019 and then we actually went to Vegas and we were coming back. We'd been in Vegas end of January, beginning of February of 2020. And there was, um, I don't know what that noise is. That's my chair. Sorry. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs> do you want another beer? Uh, yeah. You yeah. There was these people at the airport in masks. And we were like, what are we doing? <laughs> I mean, I get that Vegas is rough, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> but masks? Everyone. It was so strange. I was like, this is so weird that you have masks on. But and that was in the fall of 2019? No, that was January, February oh, of 2020. January, February. Yeah. It was like the last week of January into February. Yeah. So coming back, there was just all these masks and we didn't understand why. And then I think my husband got like OG COVID because he was like couldn't breathe and he definitely but we didn't know what it was you know it was still so early so we were just like yeah you got the biggest crud you shouldn't Uh, have that last table got you that will happen (laughs) yeah yeah for sure but i think a lot of people did that they had covid without even knowing it oh yeah which is crazy because had they known it their pandemic would have been a lot different i think in terms of already having that immunity and going through it yeah not being afraid of it or anything right yeah but yeah what a wild time right it's just it's really hard to believe that it, it happened and that it's already been three years. I know. Time is crazy. It is. So Did you crazy. have any relationship with time while you were writing this book, reflecting on your childhood and everything? Yeah. I mean, I think that because it does move like through time. And I think what I learned the most is that everything is so connected, you know, and that whether it flew by or whether it slowly paced by each of those seasons of life were like super important and I feel like there was something to learn from each of them and some of them I wanted to go by much faster (laughs) and I just I think I think the thing about time is that it is very relative right like how fast it goes by or Mm. how slow it goes by extremely but also how important it is that it goes at that speed for us you know, and we don't really realize that until later. What like, do you mean by that? Like, I feel like some of the lessons that we have to learn 
are really long seasons of life and maybe we wouldn't learn it at the level that we need to if we didn't have to go through it. Whereas some seasons of life are super short and you get what you get out of it and that's all you needed, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Any examples you want to share? I think like, like my kids growing up, especially when they were little, that seems at the time it seemed like it was drudging on like little kids are just, it's hard. It's, you know, it's just, it's a lot. And I was a young mom. I was in my early mid twenties with two little kids and it seemed like in the time that it was just drudging on looking back, reflecting like that was not a long period of time at all. Like it was like a snapshot of time. And I think that I learned a lot in just those, those little years of their life. And then there's like, you know, seasons that like I talk about one, um, like really traumatic, long relationship that I was in that was really awful. And it's like, why did that one last? Like, why did I let it last for so long? But I, now I can look back and be like, I learned so much. And and just, had you broken it off earlier, you may not have learned that. Yeah, probably not. And maybe made the same mistake again with someone else. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that that makes sense. Yeah. Time is so relative. It is. I always think back to being in school and having to sit through class or even a week of high school and how mm-hmm. long it felt. And now it's already Thursday this week, for example. <laughs> I know, right? I felt like I just woke up and it's already six yeah. o'clock or whatever it is. It's yeah. really crazy. I know as we grow, a day is less of a fraction of our life, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're younger, it's, yeah. it is more time in the sense that right. of like relative, but it's just amazing. Like that is the one thing I think people who are older than you, I think tell you a lot of bullshit sometimes yeah. when you're growing up. But yeah. one of the things that's true is that time moves a lot faster as it, you get older. It sure does. It just flies by. It does. Yeah. And I hear kids too, like that they just make your life move really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in the first year when you're waking up in the middle of the night, but yeah. it feels like a, but I think you do. I think it does go by fast because you are just sort of in this blur, you know. I, re- I remember when I was in the midst of teaching and I had two little kids and back then middle school started at like 7.15 or something. And so like teachers had to be at A.M. A.M. Jesus. That's early. Yeah, they've changed all that. You know, like all the brain development says like mm-hmm. kids are not actually thinking at 7.15 in the morning. Neither are the parents. No, nobody's thinking. <laughs> no. Nobody wants to be there. <laughs> And so like teachers would have to get to school at like the latest would be like 650. Yeah. But most, you know, good teachers get there at like 630 so they can get their day started. Well, I would have to drop my kids off at daycare at like six in the morning. And I just remember like getting up at, you know, 430, getting myself ready, getting two kids ready, getting them dropped off by six, being to school by 630, teaching, teaching, teaching. At that time, I was also working other jobs. So I'd get off and then I was teaching at CMU for a little bit. I would like teach a night class there. And then it was like pick up kids and then you feed them and then you bathe them and then they're in bed. And I was like, the days are not separating anymore. Like it was just, it was so routine because you, I mean, if you don't have a routine, I don't know how you're going to get through anything when you have little kids and a job. (laughs) So kids, super important. Yeah. So do you think yeah. that's good for us to have our days? No. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, <right? laughs> no, I look back and like, that was awful. But I remember waking up and being like, this is the same. This is like Groundhog Day every, every day. day. 
But you love the mornings, right? You say in your book, the morning is an unopened gift. Yes. Tell us about that. I love mornings. You wake up feeling rested? I do. Wow. How do you do that? I don't know. I mean, I've always <laughs> functioned pretty well, like on no sleep. Like I said, I got my first job when I was 13 and I worked in a bar, in a bar restaurant. So I just kind of like got in this habit of working late and like not needing much sleep. Because you're get, getting up early on the ranch, I'm guessing. And right? getting up early and then getting up early to go to school. And so I just I kind of learned how to like function without a lot of sleep. But I'm finding as I get older, I treasure my sleep. And so I'm like, eh, 10 o'clock. How many hours do you get a night? Probably about six. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good. Yeah. Like I'm like a 10 to four sleeper. Yeah. 10 to four. <laughs> Wait, four? I like mornings. <laughs> that's not the morning. Four is not. I think a five would be there. Like, okay. I could see that being. Yeah. Five. Okay. It is. I mean. Four. Four thirty. But you wake up naturally. I have an alarm. You say your alarm at four thirty. But I do usually wake up. Your without husband it. must be like, "Holy shit, turn that off." He's such a good sleeper. He sleeps right through it. <laughs> he doesn't care. Oh, good for him. Yeah, I know. Wow. Yeah, and I, you know, I bring him coffee at like six, so he do. He do. Oh wow. He's always like so happy. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. My girlfriend and I have the battles because we'll be like, "All right," one of us will be like, "I got to get up so early tomorrow, right?" So I'll. <laughs> You know, nighttime will is like, I'm definitely getting up at 530. Tomorrow. Yeah. Like I got so much <laughs> shit to do. Then I'll, I'll set it for 530. It'll go off. But then I'll snooze until 630. <laughs> and my girlfriend's like, why did you do this to us? You know, because she's waking up. And <laughs> like, why didn't you just set it for 630 if you were going to? Well, I wanted to get up at 530. But I, I have trouble. snooze is what? Every eight minutes or something? Every eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But I just keep thinking I'll get up. I mm-hmm. I like the, in theory, I like the morning. Because yeah. yes, it's quiet. Yeah. You can get stuff done. You could write or read. And yeah. nobody else is up, especially if mm-hmm. you have kids. So yep. I get the appeal. Yeah. But it just seems so much better than when I, when my alarm goes off, I don't necessarily wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm so rested. Yeah. Yeah. It's not until I get up, make some coffee, have some coffee, relax for 15 minutes that now, okay, like I'm awake now. Yeah. It takes me, but you seem to be out of bed. You're up. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm like, you know, going for a run or anything okay. at 430. Some people do that. I, well, I don't. There's freaks out there. <laughs> I, there's those people. <laughs> yeah. Where I live there, I should never run at 430 in the morning. I get eaten by a coyote or a mountain lion. That's right. You're up by Glade Park. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah you got to be careful. Up yeah. There. You got to be careful. But yeah, like I just get up. I just love that. I mean, for the most part, you know, it's still dark. I mean, there's that weird summer hours where you're like, oh, the sun's already coming up. But, you know, it's dark. You turn on a lamp, coffee, blanket. You know, I do some chores around the house, get the day started. I just love it. It's just so peaceful. And everything that I, feed myself. And I'm not talking food, but like everything I read, my thoughts, I'm very intentional about them being positive. And like you just go into your day just with this really powerful mindset of it's going to be a good day. And you're ready for it. Yeah. And I just love it. Yeah. You're not waking up and being thrown into it right away. Yeah. And you're not carve out that mad about things. How long do you spend alone in the morning? An hour? It's about an hour and a half, probably, before other people start stirring and that's nice and whatever. Yeah, it's like a lot of. Is that did that come from when you had kids, where that was the only time you were going to get mm-hmm. kind of? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and by the end of the day, you know, they're like, if something's important to you, you should start your day with it because by the end of the day, you're too tired, or the day happens and you're just it's not going to happen. 
And so this was something that I decided was super important to me. And that's why a lot of people go to the gym first thing in the morning. Mm. Like if it's important to you, go run, <laughs> go do your thing, you know? Yeah. Um, See, I can't do it. Like going to the gym is important to me, mm -hmm. but I'm so much more effective if I do it in the afternoon yeah. than if I do it in the morning because yeah. I just won't be booted up yet. Yeah. You know, it takes well, me, I'm like an old computer. Yeah. Got to boot up. <laughs> Did you do a lot of your writing in the morning for the book? I do. A lot of my thoughts came in the morning and I would write them in my notebook and in my journal. And then the actual writing part would happen still probably in the morning, you know, before noon. But a lot of my ideas come in the morning. So I'm getting a philosophical, spiritual vibe from your book <laughs> yeah. so far. And one of the things that didn't take that long to get into it, it was one of the first pages, you have this concept of I am. Yeah. And that that spoke very spiritual to me. Mm -hmm. You say I am and there's a couple sections and it's one part past, one part present, one part future. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can dive into that a little bit and explain, is there a spirituality in that? And what are you trying to say in that? Yeah, I am a very spiritual person. And Sometimes I have to explain that to people. They're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I just feel like everything is connected. And I feel like we are connected. And, you know, it kind of goes back to that nature. And growing up in Montrose, we were so interconnected with the U Indian tribe. And so I just, and my mom was very much into that. And so I was just really fed that and our connection to the earth. My mom, I mean, every year she would take us to, the U Indian Museum where they would do this big tribal thing every year and we were part of it. And then my great grandmother, I write about her in the book. When she was in her twenties, she was having daily conversations with Chapita, who was Chief Uray's wife, who was in her seventies at the time. But so a lot of the things that my great grandmother told me came from Chapita and so yeah, there's a lot of spirituality and so Uray is named after a Ute chief. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. I one of my goals has been to learn more about the Ute history here. Yeah, super cool. That's great that you were brought up that way. Yeah. Very earthy, very mm -hmm. connected. Very earthy and connected. So the I am, I feel like we are a part of our past and that that is stuff that we carry with us and we have to learn like what am I going to continue carrying and what am I going to let go and what no longer serves me and what do I need to leave? But a lot of those things, those stories of our past have enriched us and have created who we are. And so we are all, I am part of our past. And then the present is just what we're doing like right now. How are we getting through the day to day? And sometimes that's not the pretty side of us. I feel like the present tense is always a little like, this isn't really who I want to be, but this is how I'm surviving right now. And I feel like that's the I am part is this is what we are. And then the I am future part is, I mean, we should all be dreamers. And I mean, I have dream and believe tattoo. <laughs> 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 um, you know, I just feel like if we aren't thinking about the future and what it holds for us. What are we doing? <laughs> right? There's got to be something that we're looking forward to. What are you looking forward to? I mean, this. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just, I, I'm always looking forward to evolving and growing and I just never want to be stagnant and I never want to like be bored. And I, I feel like I was bored in parts of my life and I'm like, I'm never going to do that again. Really? So, yeah. When was that? Probably like, you know, in, in the midst of parenting and teaching and I was in a survival mode and it was just like, repetitive. It was, yeah, repetitive. And 
nothing really was fulfilling me. And so. You broke out. I broke out. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure writing this book was very therapeutic in a mm -hmm. way. I mean, they're your stories, but yeah. you're diving into yourself. Yeah. You're hoping other people have a lot of lessons yeah. from reading this and looking yeah. into their own. Did you come to any conclusions about yourself that you didn't realize or any realizations? Because books tend to evolve. So you may have yeah. sat down thinking, all right, yeah, I'm just going to tell this. Mm -hmm. But by the end of it, you're like, oh, man. At the beginning, I wrote it because I said I wanted I wanted to write it to sort of heal myself and tell these stories and kind of get through some some things that had happened. And I just wanted to write it for me as like this healing experience. And then I wrote it and I really was kind of proud of myself for the way that I had gotten through some things. You know, when you write it out and you're like, well, yeah, I did that, you know, and and I was I was proud of myself in moments. And then there was other times where I was like, oh, my God, I've been carrying like this weird shame and guilt for so long for something that I just need to let go. And so that was a super huge realization for me that and everybody has that stuff. You know, that there's just stuff you just have to let go. And I've been carrying it along with me for things you're 30 ashamed years. of. Yeah. Or... You know, guilt, shame, things, the way you handled something, mm -hmm. you know, I things you didn't get closure on. Yeah. You want closure on. Yeah. Yeah. That you could just think yeah. about forever. Yeah. That, yeah. And so it was nice to be able to let those things go. And that was part of part of the big self-discovery, I think, for myself. How can other people let things go? For you, it took writing a book. Is it different for everybody, their process? Or do you have any recommendations on how people can let go of that guilt, shame, whatever it is? Yeah. I mean, I think a huge part of it is reading about other people doing it. And I write about it. Yeah, nothing makes you feel better than seeing someone else who fucked up more. Exactly. No, it's true, though. Like, what better way to, like, not feel like you totally screwed up unless you're like, oh, they did it, too. Yeah. They <laughs> cool. made that mistake, too. Yeah. And actually, alone. they did it worse than me. Yeah. I, I, mine wasn't that bad. I actually was not yeah. as bad as that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel better. Yeah. yeah. But I think writing is actually a huge vessel for for getting through stuff like that. And that's what I want to do here at a creative space to bloom. <laughs> yeah, I definitely need your help because I used to journal a ton mm -hmm. when I was younger. When I was in high school and college, high school, I would write poetry, song lyrics, but all very connected to my life. Yeah. And in college, I would literally journal yeah. about what I was feeling. And I had a lot of emotions. <laughs> and to read them now is very difficult, like I was saying, because I'm not that person anymore. I wouldn't say I'm stone cold now, but I'm much more measured. I feel I've done a lot of growth in controlling my emotions because before I was just so high, so low, so high, so low. Great for writing, <laughs> not great for life. You know, you're just, yeah. you're kind of a train wreck. And, yeah. and so getting in control of those emotions has really helped me in my life. Yeah. But it has also made me a little disconnected from how I'm feeling mm. because I'm like, all right, I could see how I could go down that road and feel that crazy excitement or that crazy yeah. sad. But you know what? I'm just going to stay right here in the middle. And that's not good for writing. Yeah. You know, that's not like channeling my emotions always really helped me yeah. put something more powerful on the page. And like you, I would dabble in a lot of short stories where I just, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't about my life, but it was, you know, you'd fictionalize it or something. And that emotion can be a very powerful motivator because yeah. you know it well and you're feeling it. Yeah. That's why everyone loves love songs, singer songwriters. Right. They're literally bleeding that emotion right on. Mm -hmm. Do you really want to listen to a song by someone who is indifferent? Yeah, right. Exactly. Just, and writing's kind of the same way. Yeah. 
So in journalism, being indifferent is good because you're writing an article that's supposed to be, you can insert some passion, but you're not supposed to be over the top. Yeah. Kind of lost touch with that a lot. Yeah. So I think maybe getting into some kind of workshop would help me. Well, I know a place. Yeah. No, I'm excited (laughs) to see this. In fact, I, one of my dreams or give back dreams at some point would be to open a writing center. Yeah. I worked at one before I ended up getting fired from it. That's a story for another day, (laughs) but uh, I really enjoyed the experience and I connected a lot with my students and I learned that a lot of people are just terrified of writing. They can write, they, and they definitely have stories to tell. They're just overwhelmed by the rules and sort of the rigidity of writing as it's taught academically. Well, I think you might be our first guest teacher here. Well, let's do it. I know. Wouldn't that be fun? fun. That'd be great. I know. As long as I can learn something first. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It'll be awesome. Did you say when you heard that sound in my chair earlier, you said that it's haunted here? Possibly. I didn't say that. You didn't? I thought you said that the guy was like, oh. Who who whispered that to you? (laughs) When I came in, you said something that one of your colleagues was like, oh, you're there. There's crazy stuff that goes on there. Were you not talking about? I don't think it's haunted. Oh, you got me excited. I was hoping for a ghost story. I mean, I mean, it is such a cool place. There's got to be spirits here for sure. Okay. Are you in touch with your spiritual? Are you in touch with spirits? Are you seancing? And um, stuff? No, but I have. Got a Ouija board? I don't. Okay. <laughs> but I have had, I've had two very like people from the afterlife have visited me. So. Really? Yeah. Oh, please tell me the stories. <laughs> I love this. Um, two people at the same time well two different incidences so it's okay. actually three people total but oh you gotta lay this you up. want them I okay do. here I we do. go i'm super interested yeah <laughs> when i was about six or seven i was having these terrible migraine headaches and ultimately what had happened is um when we had moved in to our uh double wide trailer there <laughs> they had these like little bay windows in the bedrooms and i think all i mean i think a lot of double whites still have those but back then double whites also came with beds and i don't know if they do anymore but every bedroom had like a standard full size bed yep okay and so i went in and was like jumping on that bed and i hit my forehead like really hard and i think it was like a really severe concussion but back then nobody really knew about concussions so I started getting like my eyesight went bad. I had really bad headaches and I would wake up in the middle of the night and like not be able to function like that. My head would just hurt so bad. And I was like six, you know, so my mom put a little bell by my bed and I would like ring it so she could come and like that's, give me that service right there. I know. God bless her. Because I couldn't see like it was like literally my head would just black out. Anyways, I'd ring the bell and she would come and give me my medicine or whatever. So like three or four nights went by and I didn't ring the bell and she's like, are you not having headaches anymore? Like, are you okay? And I was like, well, the nice man is helping me. And she was like, sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) The who (laughs) is what? And I was like, yeah, the guy, he comes and he puts his hand on my head. And she was like, what are you talking about? your dad? I'm like, no, the old man. And she was like, okay, who is this? And so I described him and I was like, he's very, he doesn't talk. He just puts his hand on my forehead and it's like very cold. His hand is very cold. It's like an ice pack, which would my mom would bring me and it would take it away. So I describe him. Her face goes white 
And she goes and like gets under her bed and pulls out this photo album. It was her dad. And he's dressed exactly. I had never seen him. He died. She showed you the picture. You're like, that's him. Yeah. I'm like, that's him. What? Because he wore this like really interesting like taxi hat, you know, like those whatever. Um, It's the only thing I can think of that they look like. But it was a very unique hat. And so the minute I described the hat, she was like, okay. So she described her dead dad. Who died when she was 12. What? Yeah. So Dude, he, that's crazy. Yeah. So he came and visited me. Was she, did she, was she like taking you to the doctor or what? It, <laughs> no, I mean, cause she's also very, you know, like, oh yeah, obviously he would be here. So. And you could feel him, his hand on your. Yeah. It was cold. Yeah. And could you like, was he physically or was it kind of like a ghost mirage coming towards you? How um, do you remember? I mean, he was, I mean, he was pretty solid. Like it wasn't like I could see through him or anything. Like, I mean, it was dark in my room, but I could definitely like see him well enough to like describe his clothes and his hat and yeah i could like feel literally like the coldness of his hand wow yeah so that was the that was my first one that's amazing (laughs) yeah that's incredible um and then the next one is super crazy when i was not i was so i was in my late 20s i had been recently divorced so it was just my kids and i and we moved into this old house over on in the Redlands, like South Broadway. And it was built in 1938 and super old, amazing house. I loved it, although it was falling apart, <laughs> but it's all I could afford. <laughs> I can't remember if it was my son or my daughter. You would hear this running like up and down the hall, just like. And. I first I blamed my son. I was like, what are you doing Stop. in the middle of the night running like laps around this house like this? And he's like, I'm not doing that. He's like, the little girl is. And then my daughter was like, I've seen her. And my daughter like was terrified of her. And I was like. Your kids both told you they had seen the girl running in the hallway. The little girl. And I was like, I don't know what we're talking about. Don't like that. <laughs> Stop playing a joke on mommy. <laughs> Don't like little girls running in the hall. Little ghost girls. So this one night I was asleep and in my dream, you know, how like dreams and sounds that are like actually happening, like match up in your dreams or whatever. For sure. So I'm, I, I'm in this dream and I hear like these feet running, but I also hear like a mom and she's like chasing Like I can hear her like chasing the little girl and the little girl's like squealing and they're like running and I can like hear them, feel them running down the hallway. And then they like run to my bed and they like realize that I'm there and I like sit up at the same time and see them. Oh yeah. And then like everything like went away. It was the weirdest thing, but I came to find out that there was a mom and a little girl that lived there at one time. And I think that they were like brutally murdered. I think they were like abused Uh, and like, yeah, there was like weird locks on the doors in the basement. Like, I don't know what was happening. Reverse locks or something. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Reverse door locks. Dude, that's creepy. How long did you live there? 11 years. Yikes. I know. (laughs) But I think that once they realized like that we, like I was a mom with kids and so they freely were around for quite some time. Like we saw them like in the windows. Sometimes we'd walk, we'd be like up on the hillside and look like 
look down into the kitchen and we'd see them walk by. Really? Sometimes the TV would be on, on like, um, like a weird static channel that we could never find. We know, but like we'd come in the house and it'd be on this like weird static and we were like, okay. Change the channel and could never get it back. Yeah. There. You could never like find that channel again. Whoa. Yeah. What, did, what were you making of all this? Were you guys just like, yeah, we're how our house is haunted. Or... Um, yeah. I mean, I think we really honestly came to the conclusion. Like, I think that they were like, okay with us and we were okay with them. And eventually they left. What do you make of it? Do you think that's like, what do you think a ghost is? Do you think it's someone who is trapped in these in a world? Do you think they're manifesting from the afterlife somehow? What do you what do you make of all this? And what do you think it says about us when we die? Do we keep our like am I still gonna be Will, but then yeah. trying to run around somewhere <laughs> if I can? What's gonna happen? <laughs> I think that they I mean, I I feel like spirits come back like to tell us something. I mean, I feel like there's whether it's something that's left unspoken for them or they need to like pass some sort of message on or something. I don't know. Yeah. That's the hardest thing I always have. It's like, what is it? Yeah. I don't know. And, and are they like, is that the best they can do? Mm -hmm. Like, why don't they just appear to yeah. us if they can run up and down the hallway and right. cause noise? Why not just come up and say, Hey yeah. Kylie. Yeah. Here's what I'd like you to do. <laughs> you need this message. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's got to be some separation. That's probably all they can do. And yeah, I don't know. But I definitely believe in ghosts. So I almost embarked on a project a few years ago that I went down a rabbit hole in regarding <laughs> ghosts. And then I stopped because I got a little nervous. My dad passed away in 2015. Okay. When he died, his ex-girlfriend, him and my mom were split. His ex-girlfriend moved into his house. Okay. And so she became our tenant. I was like, okay, hopefully she doesn't have a seance in the basement or something. But she seemed like a nice lady. I didn't know her that well, but it was fine. She moved in. And as I got to know her over the first year, she would tell me stories. Like I would go visit her every Christmas, for example, when I would go home, just check on the house. How you doing, Alice? And she'd be like, yeah, you know, she had this big picture of my dad in the family room. Mm -hmm. And so we'd always end up talking about my dad. And I would say, you know, I miss him a lot. And she would say, yeah, me too. But you know, he still visits me. I'm like, what do you mean? And so she would tell me a story about how she would be at the kitchen window washing dishes and then look up out the window and see my dad standing in the backyard. Ugh. Or she would be walking by a room and look in and he would be standing there, but then disappear. Okay. And I'm like, okay, Alice, you know, you're in mourning. You miss him too. It's <laughs> fine. Like I never took it seriously. Yeah. And then about a year after that, uh, my mom just because I'm not local, she would help me manage the house a little bit. And so we had something break, the heater broke or whatever. So she went over to the house and met with Alice and where they were standing in the dining room talking about whatever. And it's kind of funny thinking it from my dad's perspective, you yeah. know, there's two ex people there yeah. in his house. He's probably rolling his <laughs> eyes, but as they're talking about whatever, all of a sudden the lights flicker. Okay. And I'm like, why did it have to be that? Right. It's like such a Hollywood thing for the lights to flicker. But both Alice and my mom told me the story completely separately. So I was like, okay, that's well, legit. that's weird that they're both telling me separately, but really anything else I would have believed. But the lights flickering, that's yeah. too movie. You guys are whatever. So then another year goes by and I go home again, visit, visit Alice. How's it going? Start talking about my dad. And this time I'm pretty direct. I'm like, hey, have you seen my dad or 
anything. She's like, well, I haven't really seen him lately, but we did have an incident. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, what happened? She said, well, I had my grandson over. He's five. And we were going to go out. So I told him we got to go upstairs and get changed. We start going up the steps. And she's, you know, a 70-year-old woman at this point. So she's slow. And the kid runs up the stairs in front of him. And at the top of the stairs is a T intersection. You mm-hmm. go right or left. She's about halfway up. And she looks up. And he has stopped on the landing. And he looks left. He looks right. And then spins around and looks at her and goes, Grandma, your house is haunted. And then just walks off into the room to get changed. And that like gave me super goosebumps. I I was like, oh my God, because kids know stuff. And when, once the kids said it, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. So I started thinking about this a lot and I said, you know what, maybe I want to write a book about ghosts Mm -hmm. and kind of looking at it, not like telling all folklore, but using this with my dad, this Mm -hmm. story I just told you is like a driving narrative yeah. And then go and like visit universities. Like, for example, I learned in my in my research that Duke University has a parapsychology center where they study yeah. paranormal stuff that happens. OK, well, what's going on there? You know, what's the latest research on this stuff? Like, mm-hmm. what do people think this stuff is? Because everyone has these stories. Yeah. But ultimately, like I, I started writing the book pitch and stuff and I just yeah. it got a little heavy, you know, so yeah. I, I backed away from it. But I think it's a cool idea. It is a cool idea. Because I meet so many people that have these kind of stories. Yeah. And it's like something's going on or yeah. we're just all crazy, which we could be. Yeah. There's always that. <laughs> like I was I was ready to like, Alice, I'm putting you up in a hotel for a week. Yeah. I'm going to go stay there because my dad and I were best friends. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of annoyed. I'm like, well, why is he appearing to you? Right. Like, why wouldn't he come see, see me? me? Yeah. Uh, and if he's a ghost. what can he... go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. But maybe yeah. he can't. Maybe they can't. I don't know. And then people started asking me like, well, if you could see your dad as a ghost and you could talk to him, what would be the first question you would ask him? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and it makes you wonder, like, can you actually communicate with them? Or is there that like energy separation where it's like, I see you and I know you're trying to tell me something. I don't know. Like, well, according to a lot of books and research, I read like three books on talking to the dead. Yeah. Which... It's kind of nerdy, but <laughs> I was reading it. And there's a lot of people out there that believe you can. Now, of course, okay. it's a lot of it's like typical ghost paranormal normal stuff where mm-hmm. it's kind of vague. And here's how you like, a, like if you read a book on a seance, you know, it'll tell yeah. you kind of how to do it. But it doesn't it also doesn't tell you how to do it. Right. It's, right. it's very vague. You're not sure whether you're just getting played or this is <laughs> a normal thing. And your belief into it is going to play a big factor. Right. Right. If you're yeah. really into it and believing it, it's like anything. Yeah. It's going to happen. It could happen, right? It's like playing with a Ouija board. Right. If you, you know, but (laughs) it's really your buddy moving it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. it's weird, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. It's That whole topic is just so interesting to me. It is. And to me, I'm like, well, if he is appearing, why is he there? Is he unsettled? Yeah. Like, should I go there? Is he waiting for me to come back? Maybe he would tell me something. I don't know. Maybe he wouldn't. Maybe I would spend a week there and waste my time. What do you think about, like, people that like stay in like haunted hotels like knowing they're haunted yeah yeah i mean like are those spirits just like angry you think though yeah like going to what's the hotel in estes park the stanley yeah yeah like the shining hotel yeah i don't know i've never had a ghost appear to me and this is what i'm like come on let's do i'm here i'm waiting let's do it i mean you've had them appear like you have more experience than i do what do you think the answer to that question is i don't know because some ghosts seem to be friendly i've never been around an angry ghost 
So I don't know. Yeah. But I think like these ghosts that are like in hotels, like, are they just like, oh, you think this is funny? Like you just come here, you pay money to like. Yeah, I was murdered here. Yeah, I was murdered here. You know, like. And now here you are having a good time. Yeah. Like you think this is, yeah. I don't they know. They might. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't. I started writing this short story once. Um, it was called The Promised Land. Mm -hmm. And I should finish it because it, it was kind of a cool concept. It was about this whole narrative about this world where these people are living in, but they're living in the afterlife. Okay. And the afterlife is very like this life. Mm -hmm. We're just in a different dimension. And they were actually working on a program to try and break into this dimension. Okay. And their technology was limited. So the only, the only, they could only get so far as to like appear for a second and then disappear. Uh -huh. So just like a ghost. Like, so yeah. we perceive them as ghosts. And in the story, they talk about like, oh yeah, the people in the dimension. Yeah think that we're ghosts or something and but they're like actively trying to get through but they just can't do it yet. yeah the technology which is kind there. of a cool thing that is very cool uh, but I feel like you need to change that go ahead and finish it up <laughs> time comes back to time yeah it's all about time so anyway getting back to your book sure do you read reviews of your book yeah so i did um i did trade reviews which was an interesting concept but before it was released, you know, sending it off and you pay for reviews and you're not guaranteed good reviews. That's for sure. Um, but it's a I, horrible process. I know it's awful, but I did luck out and I did get really good reviews and um, was able to, to use those. For marketing. Stuff, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then the Amazon algorithm of selling a book, it's mm. like, you know, everything happens on how many reviews you get. Once you get hundred reviews, then basically like you start showing up in the, you should also read or. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Suggested really? for you or. It's a hundred reviews. That's the thing. That's the magic like algorithm number. Interesting. And like, you know, people who bought this also bought this. And so you just kind of start showing up places. And um, so if you're, you know, going for the sales part, um, it's super important. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, like, was the sales important to me? Not really. But then when I started looking at like, maybe I could be a writer full time. Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, sales are important. Yeah. If you <laughs> so, want to do it as a career. Yeah. yeah. So, exactly. you know, I kind of made a shift of like, yeah, let's, let's pursue that. And, um, it's important after, like, if yeah. you're trying to think about selling it while you're writing it, oh. then you're going to end up like a Michael Crichton who yeah. I have all the respect in the world sure. for, but he's not writing anything that's life changing. Sure. He's exactly. pumping out formulaic books. Right? I know. So Over it's, it's hard to, yeah to get into that. Yeah. You know. So I don't, you know, I don't care about writing hundreds and thousands of books. That's not my, but I do want to write really meaningful things. And if the sales will allow me to write the next meaningful book, then yeah. <laughs> I'm totally on board for that. But I did, I'm at 103 reviews. So hey, congratulations. Yeah, That's awesome. all five stars. So congratulations. Yeah. That's so, awesome. and it's been great to read those honestly, because I mean, my book is doing what I wanted it to do. People are, you know, they relate and you know, they're like, I, I started hoping I would only, you know, just take it in slow and read a chapter. And I ended up, you know, reading it all. And I don't know. It's, That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm sure, you know, my editor, he, he like warned me. He was like, at any point, just be ready for the, you know, the one thorn out the there. Instagram. And I'm like, yeah, I'll Did be you ready. Get any bad ones? I haven't, but, um, you know, I, I feel like now I'm kind of like out of how many 
you know. Yeah. Well, your book lends itself. I mean, you're. I think the nastiest thing you could get would just be someone would have to be really nasty because your content is very positive, very yeah. uplifting message. Yeah. You're not egotistical during it. Right. right? I got some nasty reviews on my book, but I'm yeah. trying to be funny in my book sometimes. And I'm, people don't get I'm it. I'm trying yeah. to make fun of people. I'm trying to be egotistical in some ways. Yeah. And so when their people are offended, then they're going to react sure. like, this guy's yeah. a clown. Or yeah. Whatever. It's like, all right, whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. But yeah. it's just how it goes. I think like at the beginning, I was probably more sensitive like because i i mean you do put it out there and you're like this is my life and if somebody like tears me up that's terrible it's a lot of exposure yeah it's so much exposure you're so vulnerable and then but now i'm like eh, it's fine you know I, I feel like i've i don't know i feel so comfortable and like confident in my message that i'm like if you didn't get it, you didn't get it. And that's okay. Yeah. Well, you know? if they didn't get it, there's no reason to leave a bad review yeah. either. It's the thing people don't realize, especially with a creative work like this, mm -hmm. how much time and effort goes yeah. into it. And they just take 10 seconds and write yeah. some nasty message. It's yeah. like, man, dude, you're underestimating how much like, <laughs> yeah, of my energy went into this. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. What do you think about celebrities in the book industry? It seems to me from my perspective now that it's very difficult for authors, like true writers, mm -hmm. because publishing companies are very attracted to people who are already famous sure. because they can sell books instantly. doesn't matter what the content is. Right. And they have a ghostwriter that, you know, yeah. comes in and does it. But, and I agree with all that, it's, it does make it difficult. But have you read Green Light? Green Lights? Green Lights. Matthew McConaughey. I haven't. No, but I would. I, and sorry, let me preface that by saying my that comment was not suggesting that all the books are bad. No. I mean, there are some great inspiring books. Absolutely. And I, I want to read books about celebrities and famous people. But it does make it hard as an indie author, difficult. for sure, to like break through. Yeah, Absolutely. It's like, yeah. I was, I was wildly impressed by Matthew's McConaughey's book. What did he talk about? Just his um, it, Yeah, and very unexpected. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I expected him. I mean, I, you know, I've seen him on the screen and I've seen him in interviews and all whatever. Right, all right. All right. He's that guy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like the story behind all right, all right, all right is so cool. Like his life is super cool. And he is a writer, like he is a journaler and he literally went out into like the New Mexico desert for three weeks or something and wrote and like the things that he's done. I don't know. Super cool. You should read it. I will. Yeah. yeah. What's some of your favorite books growing up? Or some of your favorite authors? Um, so, like, growing up, I would read anything. I mean, anything I could get my hands on. And, I mean, the first book that I read was Charlotte's Web. Nice. <laughs> that was yeah. my first book. Classic. Yeah. I saw this funny quote the other day. It was like, my nine-year-old has left their first review, and it was like, sad book. Don't read. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't like it. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Have you read it as an adult? I have. It's yeah. fun to go back and read the it job. Is. I read the the Hatchet yeah. by Gary Paulson oh, recently. Yeah. So I loved great. that as a kid, and yeah. I was like, yeah, you could definitely tell it was written for kids. But yeah, I was like, this is cool. Yeah, so great. And then, like you know, I was as a seventh grade teacher, I just got to read and read. And as a high school teacher, I was just you read the same books over and over and over, and you just I just fell in love with them. So like where the red fern grows, mm. and I lost my dog yesterday, so. Yeah, I was rereading parts of it yesterday. I was like, yeah, um, having a tearful day. Oh huh? man, the Outsiders. You're a Hemingway fan. 
Oh, I love Hemingway. You do? Oh, yeah. Wow. I do. Rare to meet a woman who likes Hemingway. Oh, I love Hemingway. I know. Yeah. I mean, you just can't go into who he is, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, and just so many of his characters are kind yeah. of like, they, he doesn't portray females very well. No. Yeah. yeah. No, I do. I love, and like, Kerouac is a huge one. Um, Margaret Atwood, I studied extensively in college. And... So you like a voracious reader. I love reading. <laughs> love it. When do you, so you do it in the morning. Yeah. That's your thing. Mostly. I think most people's problem is when to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do you make the time? Yeah. And even reading before bed can be hard because if your partner doesn't read, mm -hmm. they're like, why are you reading? Like yeah, yeah. pay attention to me or yeah. getting in bed early is difficult for people. Yeah. Do you have any tips on how people can read more? Um, I mean, I do feel like if you want to get something from what you're reading, you have to do it when you're not exhausted. And so if that's in the morning for you or if that's in the evening or while you're eating lunch, I mean, I don't know. If you are just reading because it's kind of like television for you and you're just kind of like, eh, you know, my brain needs something to do, then whatever. You can read in front of the television. You can read it. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, I do think that it's cool now. Like, and I wasn't sure if I would like the audio book world. But I think it's great to be able to listen to books while you're out driving or walking or, you know, gardening or whatever you're doing. And I've really gotten into that lately. And I, I mean, some people think, well, that's not reading. I'm like, it is, actually. Somebody's reading it to you. That's reading. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a little different, of course. Yeah. But I, I think it would be interesting to, I don't know if people do this, maybe they do, but to do an audio book, but start out with it. The intention is that you're going to narrate it. So like yeah. we were saying before, like most people, you know, you wrote your book mm -hmm. and then you created the audio book and it was a little awkward and yeah. we see that in other books, but just start out and be like, okay, I'm going to do like a five hour story that I'm just going to narrate kind of like old time. Um, like the Indians used yeah. to tell stories exactly. around the fire and be like, all right, settle in. Here we go. Yeah. I think that would be an interesting project. It would be. And I, f I feel like that would actually be really productive because like I'm a person that writes out loud and you talk as you write i do really yeah and i'll i'll say things and then i write them and then i like mess with them a little bit but i'm a very verbal writer so might be an extra do you drink while you write <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> now i know you're a true writer yes oh uh, yeah yeah but hemingway say write drunk and yep. it's over yep yeah what do you do helps you get it on the page it sure does so you're drinking at 6 30 in the morning mm -hmm. oh good for yeah, you it's fine. <laughs> bailey's goes with coffee it does <laughs> yep. vodka goes with tomato juice or orange juice <laughs> or orange exactly. juice exactly so fine. you take your 10 a.m nap yeah you get up i mean you look at some of the lifestyles of the hemingways <laughs> and stuff back in the 20s oh yeah seems like that's what they did yeah absolutely i mean they died not really super great live you know correct yeah. <laughs> Fitzgerald died in a heart attack of what at 40, 40. something yeah Hemingway blew his head off <laughs> yeah yeah not a good track no. record for that era no. but if you want to be famous that's what it takes I'm willing to sacrifice you know? so you have to have like the my liver is for y'all yeah you have to be very controversial <laughs> and then you have to die traumatically yes yes and that's just what you do I guess I don't know I'm on board that's funny <laughs> one more thing I wanted to ask you about this kind of resonated with me. You were talking about how you were trying to be authentic and this concept of authenticity, but so many of us get caught up in trying to be authentic, which is counterintuitive yeah. or the opposite. <laughs> trying you, to you be. You can't try to be 
mm-hmm. normal or talk yeah. to us about that. I thought that was an interesting concept you raised. Yeah. I think more and more this like calling for us, like just be who you are, be yourself. And I do feel like it's easier for people now in society to be who they are. I feel like in many ways, society is more accepting in certain ways. But I also think there's something about the 80s and the 90s where we got to be like more explorative with who we were going to be. Where now I feel like you kind of have to commit like, no, you said you were that. So you you said you were vegetarian. You said. And so we accept that. But you are that, you know, whereas I feel like and maybe it's back to the social media thing, like I'm just figuring some stuff out and nobody really knows, but I'm going to figure it out. But then I also think that, you know, we try really hard to be authentic, like, oh, this is who I am. And it's like, are you trying to be that or is that who you are? And I read this, um, Mark Nepo, um, he wrote this book called The Book of Awakening. And he, um, in one of the quotes, he says, being who you are is not letting others down. Being who you are is not letting others down. It doesn't let anybody down. And if we can embrace that as truth, that whoever you are, whoever you are being, being yourself, that doesn't let anybody down. That's not disappointing to anybody. And I think that's like, if we can get to a place, if you can get to a place, if we could each get to a place, that would be authenticity of just like, I am not letting anybody down by being this person. This is who I am. I don't envy kids today. Oh God. Because... It's really, it's just the exposure to so many lifestyles. Mm-hmm. When we were growing up, I mean, for me, I'm kind of your age group. The internet was there, but we didn't, our lives weren't built around it. So right. the only exposure we had were the people around us. So mm-hmm. we look and say, oh, I want to be like Uncle John. He's cool. Yeah. Or I want to be like Tim's dad. He's really cool. Yeah. But that was limited, right? So right. you really did just focus on who you were and yourself. Now you can go on the internet or social media and see mm-hmm. how hundreds of thousands and millions of people are living their lives. Mm. And you're like, well, maybe I'm a little bit of that. Maybe I'm a little bit of that. I want to try that. I want to try that. It gets very confusing. Yeah. It's, well, it's option and they, overload. And kids these days play out their entire identities online mm. and it is there to be judged. Yeah. And like you said, you commit to it. So now someone's like, well, in that post, you, you said you were that. Yeah, you said. You know, now yep. you're going, you're changing, which is fine to change, but you're almost documenting yourself. Yeah. Which yeah. you got to be careful. Well, and then people are like, who are you? Because there's so many. You've tried so many. You know, it's like we all are. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to try things. Absolutely. I mean, when I was in, I remember I was called a poser mm-hmm. when I was in grade school because I liked to try a lot of things. So one day I would hang out with the skaters. One day yeah. I would hang out with the rollerbladers. One day this, that. Yeah. I'd be in the math club. And people are like, oh, you're just faking a phony. And I'm like, in my mind, I was I was young, but I'm like, yeah. I just want to try all this I'm stuff. Right? Yeah. And now I look back and I'm like, well, that kid had himself figured out in eighth grade. Yeah. So he's probably a loser <laughs> now, but you know, whatever. But yeah, it's hard growing up. Like yeah. if you want to try things, it's okay to try on identities. But if you're, I wasn't posting about it all the right. time. Well, right? yeah, there's this every, it's like on a TikTok or a Snapchat or a. It's hard. How do you navigate that with your kids? Um, Is your daughter addicted to social media? She's like really big into well, like, like they're, my kids will not talk on a telephone. Like they're like, they won't, do they don't the know how call. to do it. They don't, <laughs> like I told her, I'm like, well, you probably, you know, she's at college. I'm like, well, you probably just need to call the dining office and find out what's going on. Uh, I'll just send them an email. 
<laughs> like they just don't have that skill anymore. The like actual talking isn't a thing, but they'll talk into Snapchat or, you know, they send voice messages, whatever. Um, is she okay in person talking? Yeah, she's fine. So that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious. No, I like, know. Just you would wonder phone. though. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So she was really into Snapchat or is into Snapchat and like TikTok, I think are the big things. Um, they make fun of me because I'm on Facebook, you know, I'm like, like yeah, whatever. Gen Z doesn't like Facebook. I don't I'm think. like, whatever. And then like my son is, I don't really know like phone wise, but he's like more of like a YouTuber. How old is he? Uh, 15. Hey, okay. Yeah. YouTube. So it's like YouTube and then a lot of um, like gaming and whatever, but. I feel like that'd be the hardest part of parenting, uh, monitoring the social media use and. Well, and like if you take stuff away or limit it, then you're like almost excluding them from their society. Right. And then they're weirdos that and don't then, have it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so. Yeah. It's hard. It's a conundrum. Yeah. I know. Finding that balance. Yeah. Like it's almost like one parent should use their phone and one shouldn't just so they see yeah. two ways or something. Right. Yeah, but that's extreme. How would you do that? I know. Yeah. But then you also have to think about like, you know, somebody was like, well, you can't raise kids the way that you were raised because they're growing up in a completely different world. You know, like we didn't have all this technology, so we never had to deal with it. They, if they don't know how to deal with it, that's almost more detrimental to them. You know, if they don't know how to work within a tech world. Yeah, for sure. You know? But we, there also are documented hazards of it. Oh, where for sure. It's like, no, this is horrible for yeah. you. Yeah. Like, you know how to use it. You'll fit into your friends. Yeah. But if you don't have the maturity to control your use yeah. or to control the feelings yeah. that this brings you, the dopamine you could yeah. end up depressed yeah. and wanting to kill yourself. Yeah. And I do see that. I mean, not with, not with my kids, but I have, you know, as a teacher, I did see kids that were like obsessed with likes, you know, and, you know, and just putting value on the number of likes that they were receiving on a post and then checking to see if a certain person liked it, yeah. you know, I mean, just that obsessive, I don't know. It's just, it is kind of sad. And we've all felt it, right? For sure. We've all been there. Yeah. It's, but, it is addicting. Yeah. They have designed it yeah. in a way that, it uh, is have a, you seen the documentary, The Social Dilemma? Yeah. It's mind blowing. It is. It's Absolutely. crazy. I know. I almost want to just throw my phone out the window after I saw that. I'm you like, know. oh my God. I think my husband like totally did for a while. He was just like, I, I'm only using it for communication of phone of calls and texts. I'm like, okay. Like a week later, I'm like, how's that going for you? Yeah. Well, I ha okay. Yeah. Well, we're trapped because it is yeah. convenient for email. Yeah. And it's nice because I can be on the go and check mm -hmm. it and just be like, all right, I'm cool. I can stay out longer or yeah, there are uses for it. But yeah, I thought about going back to the flip phone for a while mm -hmm. too. Like I've had those moments where I'm like, should I just go back to it? And then you don't have to worry about dropping it or losing it or any of that. Yeah. But I think it's I'm hooked at this point. I know. What do you do? I know. Well, and so much of our business and commerce is all connected to our phones, like constantly. That's it. Imagine another 50 years. I know. I Imagine know. another 20 years. I know. Who knows? Yeah. We'll see. Well, I'm glad you're creating the space for people to come shut off their phone. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> Maybe draw, I'll do like a paint. as a teacher, but like a little phone place where you drop your phones. That's this a is great a free, idea. Phone free zone. I think that's great, especially during yeah. a class. People might appreciate it. When can we expect the class list to come out? Do you have a schedule people can look up? Yeah, and... so um, 
I mean, I am not going to lie when I say that this space became available this week and I jumped on it. Oh, wow. And so I am super. And I'm moving in next Friday and I'm a big person on like watch for signs and if it's time to leap, leap. And so I went ahead and jumped this week and this is less me 750 square feet. Yeah. 500 square feet, something yeah, like that. So it's a nice space. Yeah, for sure. When I asked you earlier, like, oh, what are you going to do for the design? You literally just signed the lease. So you yeah, probably haven't really thought about it. I'm going to use these four chairs. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be exciting to see it yeah. all come together. So yeah. do you plan to literally start class? I mean, you can't start classes September 1st then. No. You're going to just yeah. start going and stuff. Yeah. I have, um, I have a couple of people that I'm going to do some like power meeting with and just try to get some ideas together and then it's going to evolve. So it's not going to be exactly what I want to get out the door, but I'm going to, I'm going to just let it organically do what it's going to do yeah. and grow. And I feel like your timing is great because yeah. you can spend the first month or two figuring it out. And then winter time yeah. is going to be great for writing exactly. because days are shorter, yeah. pe not as much competition on things to do. Yeah. People want to, I should probably get one of those like little fireplaces in here, huh? That would be awesome. Yeah. Definitely. You should definitely do Winter's it. coming. Ah. Uh, so how, how can people follow along with this? Do you have an Instagram for this space? Um, not yet, but um, I think I'm going to do most of the initial stuff out of my Kylie Marshall author Instagram. Okay. Um, and then my website, KylieMarshall.com. And I'll have a page on there for this specifically coming up soon. So. Cool. When we post the episode, we'll link to all your stuff so people yeah. can follow along and awesome. they can download your book. Is Amazon the best place to do it? Yes. I know with authors, you know, sometimes you get more money out of some sites yeah. than others. So no, where should um, they buy your yeah, book? Yes, so you can get it on paperback, Amazon. You can get it Barnes & Noble here in town, out west um, on Main Street. They also have it, but they keep selling out. Good problem to Heck have. Yeah. Um, and then you can get it Kindle ebook online and then now Audible. And iTunes. Of Dirt and Wildflowers. Of Dirt and Wildflowers. Kylie Marshall. Yes. Thank you so much for joining the Pally Thank Pod. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Yes. Now I'm riding the terrain, flying high up once again. Got my crew sitting healthy and my boo living wealthy. Level 99, never settle in my mind. So I pedal and I climb up the pedestal and find almighty weapons. So I calm, lightly step into the castle, satchel, tackled, wrestled. Down the corridor where I'm grounded through the floor. Round house into my core, down, out, and through the door. Sword down at my side, I gotta round up and ride. Face boss, break jaws till I take off. Face off, stop and swing my serious strike. This is it, take the title, disappear in the night. To the whole wide world. Got the keys to the kingdom overseas with the wisdom guarantee that my rhythm hit the whole wide world. Slay the boss in the castle when we cross final battle, then I walk out.